If you're not getting results in your life in any arena, this could be health, this could be finance, this could be relationships, whatever it is, you're in one of two places. You're either not doing the work or you're doing the wrong work and you're lying to yourself about it. You also forgot when you're not doing the work, you're, you're also lying about it. Yeah. The Online Marketing Show with Joseph Bushnell, helping you to grow your online business by driving more traffic. Improving conversion rates, increasing customer value, and getting things done fast. Listen, take action, make money. Hi, welcome to the Online Marketing Show. This is Joey Bushnell. Today I have two very special guests on the line, online marketing coaches Elan and Guy Ferdman. Go to satoriprime.com to find out more. Elan and Guy cover both the mindset side and the strategy side of having a successful online business. And in this call, they're going to be sharing what it takes to be a top performer with a successful business and dream lifestyle. We're going to be discussing things such as three key traits that you must adopt if you want to be a high performer, um, why our actions often don't match our intentions and what to do about it, the three to one rule, which will help you go from pessimist to optimist, the number one reason people struggle to get traffic to their website, and whether you should be a lead generation whore or not. All that and much more coming up, so don't go anywhere. Elon, Guy, thank you very much. It's great to have you both on the call. Great to be here, man. Absolutely. Thanks for having us. How did you guys get started in business and online marketing? Bro, you want to take that one? No, you go ahead, man. <laughs> well, you started before me, so. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a interesting story. Elon, uh, early in his 20s, became a VP of a uh, financial institution uh, out in New Jersey, New York area. Uh, I came and joined him as uh, one of the underwriters and became managers in that company. Uh, when the economy collapsed, uh, we kind of, you know, were one of those people that, you could say we were like the co-captains of the ship while the ship was going down. Mm-hmm. Uh, waved goodbye to our lifestyle, lost a lot. Uh, I ended up moving back home, um, selling all my things. Elon had to deal with a lot of you know issues that many people had to deal with, like foreclosures and um, whatever, all sorts of different difficulties. Uh, and during that time, when I left the industry, um, I was cleared that that wasn't the path I really wanted to be on anymore. And at the same time, Elon and I were both uh, very... Uh, heavily involved in personal development work through Landmark Education, uh, doing a lot of coaching. And so, and one aspect of my life, I was dealing with people, you know, with the, the commodity of money where you see a lot of ugliness. And on the other side of my life was all this transformation and beauty happening. Uh, and I was clear that that's kind of the path I wanted to take. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also didn't want to do the old school sales method, um, you know, just grinding away, cold calling, shaking hands on the street, that kind of thing. And it became clear to me that if uh, what I had learned, which I knew could make a difference for people, was going to spread and change people's lives uh, more than just a few people at the time, I needed to get online and uh, learn about marketing. So I ended up joining a company. Um, I guess it's a business opportunity, but it's also an educational company uh, at the same time in terms of online marketing, uh, which was Jay Kubisak's company uh, called Carbon Copy Pro mm-hmm. back in the day. And uh, that's where I got my start and had a knack for it right away. And I think the fact that we did have such a vast knowledge and a lot of experience in the personal development field for about a decade uh, with coaching, with our personal education, made a huge difference in terms of uh, what we believed our potential could be 
I got the streams of uh, all the speakers talking and uh, I came home and I was really excited, obviously, as, as young, you know, young entrepreneur, young entrepreneurs are and coming from these events. And I told uh, Elon, I'm like, I really want you to listen to this content. I know you're not going to understand what they're talking about, but I want you to listen to more of who they're being than what exactly they're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just kind of left it at that, like had really no intention of him joining the business or anything like that. I just thought he would get a kick out of it. And uh, he calls me up three hours later. I don't remember exactly how you phrased it, Elon. Maybe you remember better than me. But he's like, whatever this is, I want in. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we sat around and we talked, um, kind of came up with the name for the company. And uh, as they say, the rest is history. Cool. Okay. So how do you help people? What would you say are the underlying principles and philosophies behind what you guys teach. I know that you have a very successful podcast, a very successful membership site, but what topics do you help people with? So our mission, Satori Prime's mission, is to break down the walls to what people believe is possible in their lives. And basically what I tell people if they ask me, what do I do for a living? I say I help people turn their passions into dollars in their bank accounts, mm-hmm. which usually gets a pretty a, you know, mouth open stare at me for a little bit. Um, but yeah, that's really our intention is that the world is changing drastically. Uh, the security and uh, of the job market and what people have been taught for a long time, I think just doesn't exist anymore. And our mission has been to give people tools, both technical and, you know, from a mindset uh, standpoint, which is something that we practiced for about 12 years, um, give them all the tools they need to truly live a life by their own design and not just have to be another worker bee or hate waking up in the morning to go to a job that they hate or not be able to spend time with their kids. So however that looks, I mean, we do it all different ways, whether it's teaching people how to market on Facebook, um, you know, get them so that they're not afraid of success or not afraid of failure, uh, help them launch their products, their services, build businesses for them. I mean, we kind of do it all, but the main message is always, um, to break down what's, what they believe is possible for themselves, break down the walls to what they believe is possible and actually turn their passions into money. So what's the name of your podcast? Uh, our podcast is called the performance enhancing podcast, which is actually a play on uh, performance enhancing drugs. <laughs> Um, and the concept is basically I, you know, we were just talking before you're like, I don't really, I never really listened to podcasts all that much, but mm-hmm. I actually did. And I love them. My biggest, uh, not hate, but gripe, I guess with podcasts is you'll tend to listen to like an hour long interview. And at the end you're walking away with like, you know, 15, 20 minutes worth of golden nuggets. Cause most of the time they're like, how are you? It was so good to see you here. Blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. I was like, I wish someone just like did a cliff notes version and I looked around and no one did it. So our performance enhancing podcast is basically cliff notes version of other people's podcasts where we obviously give them credit, uh, great articles, great videos, great books, anything like that. So it's, a very condensed, what I call just the golden nugget version of a lot of people's podcasts. I love it. I think that's a great idea. Thank you. Yeah, plus plus some interviews. And I kind of want to mention in the same breath, like for me, when we were doing a lot of uh, personal development coaching, we had done it free for, man, for a really long time. Mm -hmm. Uh, But what I always saw is that a lot of people reach that that place, um, usually when some kind of trauma had happened in their life, you know, they start seeking answers or they start looking for how they can grow, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, just change their patterns, I suppose. And what we noticed when we got into this industry 
Um, and I guess it's probably across all entrepreneurialism is that entrepreneurs uh, come to that place very quickly where they realize that the results their business are getting uh, is getting is a mirror of what they're personally capable of producing. And they get very interested in personal development work and they're extremely coachable. Uh, so it's just a really good marriage for us because um, we like both industries very much. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's just a perfect marriage of the two fields. Yeah, I think it is as well. I mean, you can't grow a business without the mindset side. You just can't do it. And you also can't grow a business without marketing. So if anyone listening to this wants to have that amazing lifestyle and um, have that amazing life that uh, can be achieved by having an amazing business, then they really need to be mastering those two areas. Yeah, 100%. Okay. I actually think the mindset is probably, you know, I always say 90%. Wow. Okay. Well, you know, that's interesting. Let's talk about that a bit more then, please. Um, the mindset side of things. Let's talk about performance. First of all, the name of your podcast is performance enhancing podcast. So what traits and mindset characteristics do high performers have? Great question. Great, great question. Um, I'm always astounded by masters. And what I mean by masters is in any arena of life, someone that's dedicated to their craft. I mean, I just saw like before we got on a video, I don't know if it's real or not, but it was basically David Beckham on the beach and some guy asked him, can you, you know, kick the ball into a garbage can that was like, you know, whatever, how many feet or yards away. And uh, David's like, yeah, sure. He's like, can you hit all three? And he's like, yeah, no problem. Just give me more balls. So he gives him three balls and like, lo and behold, the guy like nails it into all three. Now, I don't know if it's accurate or not, mm-hmm. but the point is that in order to master anything in your life. I don't care if it's you're a great writer, you cook well, uh, you play an instrument, you're a master at a business or a type of business. The things you have to, the person you have to become, that process is actually what creates mastery. So the dedication, the ability to conquer all fears, not all fears, but the ability to fight through fears The ability to work harder than 99% of other people, maybe even more. Um, that are, those are all characteristics of people that I look out there as masters. And then recently what I've started to notice is people's obsession with their craft. Because in order to be able to fight through all of these things and like where most people get stopped and they're like, Oh, it's just too hard. The obsession, that's where it comes in. Because when you're so obsessed with something, nothing stops you. You literally feel like you can run through cement walls over and over and over because you know where you're headed. And the people that I get to interview, which I, you know, thanks to the podcast, I've been able to interview some incredible people. Um, I just hear it time and time again. You know, when you ask someone about their failures and things like that they experience, I just think like if someone knew, you know, people look at, guy and I or, or you and and say like, Oh my God, they're so successful. They have it so easy, blah, blah, blah. And like, truth is if you told someone that the shit that we went through, <laughs> most of them would never, like if you gave someone a piece of paper and was like, okay, look, here's what you're going to have to go through for the next 10 years. But on the other side of this, here's the life that you're going to have. I guarantee you, even knowing the life that they'd have, they still wouldn't go through some of that stuff. And so that's to me, that's like, peak performance is is that level of mastery yeah i couldn't agree more i mean you see the end result but you don't know what happened along the way you know i've still got the gray hairs to prove my journey that those are my battle scars so 
you know, I, I very much learned the hard way and eventually sometimes you make it, but unfortunately sometimes people don't. Obviously, if we all did, that would be great. But I think it comes down to um, sometimes you just have to keep going. You have to keep pushing through the hard times. So let's talk about that next. Let's talk about failure because it is going to happen no matter who you are. You are going to have your victories and you are going to have your failures along the way. And and that will never actually change. That happens throughout a person's career. So how do high performers look at failure compared to someone who is not a high performer and how they look at failure? Does it stop them or does it push them on further? What happens? Uh, I love that question. I'm actually reading a really fantastic book uh, by the kid who the movie um, Searching for Bobby Fischer is based on, mm-hmm. who was the youngest uh, chess champion in the world and went on to be like a 10-time or like 13-time Tai Chi world-class champion too. Um, and he makes this distinction about these studies of uh, you know kids who are raised to believe that like when they bring a test home, and the parents are like, oh, my God, you did such a good job. Like you got an A and then they bring an F home and it's like, what's wrong with you? How come you didn't do better mm-hmm. versus the parents who, you know, they bring a test home and the kid doesn't do well and is trained to believe that um, if you work harder, you can get you can do better next time. And it kind of creates a fragmented mind because one gets rewards from when I do well, I'm good. When I do bad, I'm bad. The other one gets, you know, gets rewarded from you can always work to attain your goals. So I think and it's funny because I grew up like the person when I'm, you know, when I do good, I'm good. And when I do bad, I'm bad. Uh, and I completely transform that mentality into more of that like labor. If you work hard enough at it, you can you can get it. Um, and I noticed that definitely more people are sided with uh, with the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why you see a lot of people come into the industry and their resistance to having any type of failure or to seeing their personal chink in the armor, like as if they're not perfect. There's just so much resistance around that. And because of that, you know, like a, <laughs> talk about, you know, something that makes you uh, see your inadequacies. Like, I don't know if there's anything more than a business that will allow you to see where where you need to go to work on yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that's really what makes a difference is the ability to understand that that's just part of the ride. Um, it doesn't need to slow you down at all. Uh, Elon and I always talk about velocity and performance. And I think what allows us to have a lot of velocity and performance is we just have a completely different distinction around what failure means. Uh, we actually work towards failure. We don't work away from failure. Uh, in fact, we always have this rule that the thing that we're afraid of the most is the thing that we go do first. Um, and we've used that as a guide for a long time, kind of like a beacon signal of, of that's where we want to go. So I always try to teach our students on like everything you want is on the opposite, opposite side of your fears and your failures. Um, so just switch it around in your mind and, and, and seek it. Uh, and I think that that's what successful people do. And they don't cower from it and they learn from it and they move on and they get bigger and better and, and grow. And that's what happens. If we're not experiencing failure, then we're probably very comfortable. We aren't growing. We've, we've cocooned ourselves in this safe little space, but we aren't growing or getting anywhere. Exactly. One of our, one of our first mentors, uh, when we started our business basically said to us, I hope for you to fail big and fail fast. Mm-hmm. Um, now at the time we were, you know, like broke, <laughs> house being foreclosed on, get on the way, like literally the worst case scenario. And I'm looking at this guy and I'm like, you're an asshole. <laughs> you know, like, why would you ever say that to me when I'm about to launch a business? Mm-hmm. And now looking back, he's so right. I mean, that's kind of what I would wish anyone today because you don't learn when things are working. You learn when the world is upside down and you've fallen flat on your face. And if you just treat it like a game where 
okay, so, you know, Wayne Dyer says this thing, like, you get up to the uh, golf range, and you want to you want to drive the ball 300 yards in front of you, and you take a swing, and the ball, like, shanks, you know, six feet, and just slices, like, dribbles right in front of you. Now, most people will just be like, I'm a failure. So they don't look at it as a result that they didn't produce. They automatically attach it to themselves as, like, I am this failure. But in essence, you produced a result, just not the result you want. And just a, a slight shift in the way you're, you're swinging that golf club will actually produce the result that you want, which is 300 yards dead ahead. People just stop themselves way too short. So if all you look for is, okay, I produced X, you know, so I didn't fail, but I just produced the result that I didn't, a different result than what I wanted. And then look at that and figure out, well, what was missing? What could I add? What did I do differently or anything like that? And then learn the lesson and then take another stab at it. You know, it might not be the second or third or even 10th stab, but you know what? Like that, there's that quote that always goes around Facebook. Um, you know, if you can't, if plan A doesn't work, there's 25 other letters in the alphabet. Like (laughs) just keep going, Mm -hmm. you know, at the end, like if, and that's what I'm saying. Masters just keep going until they produce the result. And it doesn't matter if people around them are saying to them like, oh, this is stupid or why do you spend so much time? Because they know what they're working for. And I'd much rather, I told my wife yesterday at dinner, like I'm obsessed with our business. And I would so much rather sprint, like sprint my ass off. And if that means 14, 16 hour days, five, six, seven days a week, I'll do that for the next two, three years. So that the next 50 years, me and my family are living like kings. What is a high performer's attitude towards learning? And I guess by this, I'm not so much referring to learning through experience as we've just been, you know, talking about just then. I mean, um, how about absorbing new information? You know, listening to podcasts, reading books, reading blogs, taking courses, going to seminars. What do high performers do differently when it comes to learning? I would just say implementation is is the key. Um, most people, it's funny because. <laughs> We've learned that, uh, if, like, we build a lot of our own products or, you know, we do a lot of um, stage talks and stuff like that. And it always seems to me that people feel like they get more value when they fill up their notebooks more, like they take more notes and that somehow, somehow equates to more value in their minds. Mm-hmm. But if you really think about it, how often have you ever gone back to read a single note that you've ever taken at any event? It's, like, mm-hmm. rare if if at all. Mm -hmm. Uh, What I know is that I generally don't do that. I generally don't take notes. Uh, I generally just remain as present as I can. And I have something at stake or a possibility that's open for me in my mind. And what I'm looking for is just like someone to fill in that space with their experience. I'm listening for what would make a difference from another leader's perspective that I haven't like viewed, you know, that through yet, I suppose, if that makes sense. I hope it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the moment that pings in, my first job is to just go and start implementing immediately so that I can have experience with it. Uh, so some, one of the things we teach people is that what you know truly doesn't make a difference, right? So, for instance, like we have a huge obesity epidemic in, in the United States, but there's no secret as to how to overcome that. It's like eat healthy, exercise, and you know, obesity disappears in a few months. Mm -hmm. Um, but that information doesn't seem to make a difference for anybody. However, if you take a person, you know, bring them to a really good personal trainer and within the first two to four weeks of them going there, they have this experience of, um, 
like losing weight, their energies increased, they're feeling better about themselves, increased confidence. All that came not from having the information, but from having an experience that led to a result. So I think that that's what leaders do is they are action junkies um, and they look to create brain patterns and uh, physical patterns um, that allow them to just take advantage of that information. So information becomes action very quickly. I would say that that's probably the biggest difference. I just also add to that that I think creating a context around that, that forces you into that situation. So I always say, like, pick a sandbox that forces you to build sandcastles. So what I mean by that is, for example, with my podcast, right? Like I wanted a a method really selfishly. I wanted a method that would force me to read more books because I know like the more you read, the better, you know, we're in masterminds right now with like seven, eight, nine, 10 figure earners and just looking around and surveying them. They read a ton, like a ton, you know, a book a week minimum. So I'm like, okay, information is the the difference maker here, right? So consume more information. So I knew I'd be lazy. So what did I do? I created a podcast where I have to produce content every Monday and every Thursday. And that pushes me. Like people depend on me now to produce one content every Monday and every Thursday. So that pushes me to read more books, pushes me to listen to more podcasts, pushes me to learn more. I think if you put yourself in a context, and that's why I think, Starting an online business is an amazing context is because when you do that, you have to learn or you don't succeed. When an athlete like puts himself and says, okay, I'm going to train to be in a marathon or the Olympics or whatever the heck it is, then guess what? When they wake up at five in the morning and they feel like dog shit and they're like, I don't want to get out of bed (laughs) and they look up at that poster and they go, well, the Olympics are six months away. I guarantee you they get up and they do the work. Yeah. Where yeah. most of us are kind of like, eh, I don't feel like it today. <laughs> you know, this like seven year old whiny kid is the one that's that's running your life. So mm-hmm. I think a lot of it has to do with your context. Okay, so I saw a video on your website, guys, about how we should have low expectations but big commitments. And this wasn't something that I really had heard of before. So can you explain this concept? Why should we have low expectations but big commitments? I remember when that line came out of my mouth and even I was impressed because I never heard that before either. <laughs> uh, and then, um, <laughs> so, um, well, I guess here's the thing, like most people, when they're creating an expectation, uh, at the same time, they're creating an attachment to something. And what they have in their mind is the way they picture the way it's going to show up. Right. Mm-hmm. And what they get attached to is that it's got to show up this way or, or it's not happening. And, that's like saying I'm going to go buy a lottery ticket today and I know that I'm going to win this one the way that I'm doing it exactly right now. Right. <laughs> and we, we live in a world of infinite possibility mm-hmm. and things arise in a multitude, infinite type of ways. And in our limited knowledge of the universe, it's amazing how we'll take a situation and we'll say, I know how this is supposed to go, right? Where it could happen like so many different ways. So mostly what I notice is that people aren't open to just receiving in the way that it's going to arise. And because of that, they, they like, um, the, their vision is extremely small, like looking through a pinhole and it's like, it all can only come through that pinhole or it's not coming at all. And I think what people need to wake up to is that when you create something, my personal view on it is that the universe is going to provide that for you. Um, we are part of the creation system. Like we, we all have that 
uh, we're just part of it. I don't want to get into all the philosophy behind that. Just, you know, accept it or don't accept what I just said. Um, and if you verbally create, emotionally get involved with it, you know, like align yourself with what it is that you want, it will arise in your life. It just probably won't come in the picture that you think it's going to come. Um, and I think that's what I was kind of aiming at with that. So it's like, just, just get inspired, um, and align with your expectations such that the, it's a commitment versus being attached to how it looks. So you're always committed to your goal, but you release that attachment of how it's going to come. And if you can stay persistent with your commitment, I can nearly guarantee that you'll get what you want. I do get a bit wound up sometimes. I don't know um, how you two feel about this, but have you ever come across it where someone gets into online marketing and they were sold on the fact that it was push button easy, that it was going to happen quickly. It was this and it was that. And, you know, basically a load of false promises and unrealistic expectations, you know, and I'm just thinking, you know, you've got such high expectations. You think that building a business was, was going to be easy. It was just going to come to you. You know, someone was just going to give it to you. Now, look, most people don't think like this, but I have encountered this occasionally um, that unfortunately people get into business with these really high expectations and they're just way off. They just aren't realistic at all. Yeah. Sure. 100%. And, and same here, by the way, you know, and it happens a lot. I mean, these days our marketing uh, for anything that has to do with with turning a business online. I mean, we're really clear, like we literally write in the ad like this is a lot of hard work. And if you're not the type of person that's capable of doing hard work, like don't even click on this ad. Yeah. Um, we, we tell our students, I'm like, I literally create ads for people not to click on them. Because just like you, I, w- I want the qualification from the moment that they have that first interaction with anything that we do. I want the expectation to be set the right way so that they come in, like I said, with the commitment to have transformation, with the commitment to have a higher increased quality of life, but also with the understanding of this is what it log- logistically and realistically takes. doesn't mean that some people don't hit the target really fast, though. It doesn't mean that. I'm sure there are people who walk into the industry three months later are just absolutely crushing it. But it really is results not typical. And we're talking like the point zero 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 one percent that that happens to. Right. Mm-hmm. So, again, it's like that lottery mentality, like to come in and believe that you're going to be one of those people. Can it happen? Yeah, it could probably happen. Is it probable? It's really not that probable. So um, I think, yeah, I love that you actually took that line out. And I probably need to write that one down, too, um, even though I'm, I'm the one that said it. But um <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 it really it really is like kind of the keys to the whole situation and it goes back to what elon said about context just have just have proper context i love what you said there about client expectations because i do exactly the same um i would much rather have a more difficult sale you know i know that in in marketing we sell the benefits and the easy stuff but i would rather not do that i'd rather have give myself a, a harder time selling that person but give them proper expectations so that they know what's ahead when we actually work together and when they're likely to achieve success and, and how they're going to get there rather than having an upset client who just signed up for something that they didn't quite understand um, what they were signing up for. So, you know, I couldn't agree with you more on that. Qualify your clients big time and let them know what's involved because it's, it's just not helping anyone when you, when you sell people short. If your marketing is good in any business or service or whatever you, your business is, the better your marketing is, the less selling you do. So, you know, we have like uh, two different Facebook mastermind groups, uh, like a really high end one and kind of one for people more starting out. Our marketing right now on the front end has gotten so good that when people get on the phone with me to talk about this mastermind, they're like, I can't believe I'm on the phone with you, you know, and um, what do I need to do to check out? Like, I don't really have to do any selling. 
mm-hmm. to the point that, you know, like, like the last go around, I said the guy I said 75% of people that I spoke to joined one of the masterminds. That's insane. Yeah. And I didn't do any selling. So I think if you're confronted in any business with some sort of consistent type of person and or consistent rebuttal, mm-hmm. then I would go back and actually look at your marketing because your marketing, like the law of attraction, like attracts like, right? So if your marketing is positioned a certain way and you tend to get tire kickers or you tend to get people with like who are entitled or um, people complain about money, whatever it is, I would actually go back to your messaging mm-hmm. because something in your messaging is allowing for those people to come in. Why do our actions often not match our intentions? We want something, but we aren't doing it. For example, I want to lose weight, but I'm not doing diet or exercise, or I want to build a business, but I'm not doing X, Y, and Z. Why does this happen, and what do we do about it? How can we get our intentions and our actions aligned? I'm going to make, I'm going to give you guys the simplest way to figure out why you don't get results in your life. Like I, I just shared this in London at an event and people just came up to me. We're like, I cannot believe how simple that was. Mm-hmm. So here it is. If you're not getting results in your life in any arena, this could be health. This could be finance. This could be relationships, whatever it is. You're in one of two places. You're either not doing the work or you're doing the wrong work and you're lying to yourself about it. You also forgot when you're not doing the work, you're, you're also lying about it. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's really it. Like when people say to me like, oh, this is not working. This is not working. It's literally one of those two places. I don't care what topic you give me. It can boil down to one of those two things. So it's either you're not taking action and you lie to yourself about it or you're taking the wrong actions and you're lying to yourself about it. And sometimes, you know, like Joe, when you train people and they'll be like, okay, I want to create, you know, $5,000 a month and blah, blah, blah. And you're like, well, what have you been doing? And you're like, well, I've been working on my logo and my header and this and that. And you're like, dude, really? Like you haven't made a sale online and you're worried about your logo. Like, you know, so I think there's, there's just so many unrealistic things that people have, but most of the time they waste their time on, useless tasks, not money producing tasks. Or, you know, if it's in a relationship, people are like, well, I can't, I can't ever meet the right person. And you're like, well, how many dates are you going on? None. Well, really? Like, (laughs) seriously? Like, you know, so sometimes we, I mean, I'm, we, Guy and I are really like no nonsense, no BS guys. And people either like that or don't. But what we found is that our students, our clients, they love that about us because we just don't bullshit. It's like if something, if I hear you say something that is not aligned with what you told me you want for yourself and your life, I'm going to hit you right in between the eyes with it. And it might hurt and it might sting. But as a mentor and a coach, that's my job. Yeah. I'm not here to be like your, you know, your grandma who's like petting you and be like, oh, you did a good job, son. It's like you want results. <laughs> You yeah. sure are doing a lot of characters these days. Yeah. You want <laughs> results now. Like, you're lying to yourself. Period. Uh, yeah, the, the other thing I would add to that is, you know, I think the one thing that stops a lot of people from getting results is, is procrastination. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and contextually, people always wonder, they're like, well, I procrastinate and I don't know why, or they show up late and there's no integrity around their word. 
but I think it really is just, again, going back to context, I think context is one of those things you can look at in any situation, Sarah. What's my context here? And the context is going to either give you power or not around that situation. So context to look at when we're talking about procrastination is just a matter of making things important to you, right? Like mm-hmm. your average person says, I want X, Y, Z. And then their first excuse is, well, I don't have money or time, right? It's like the natural knee-jerk reaction of like everyone across the planet, no money, no time. And they don't really think what's behind that because it's money and time is never really the issue. There's something behind it that they don't want to come clean about. Um, and I would just say to that, you know, like if you, let's say you wake up on a Monday and somebody asks you to do something and you use the prototypical, I don't have money, I don't have time. But come Tuesday, um, if your car breaks down, right in the morning but you got to get to work because that's your livelihood without money you're not going to survive mm-hmm. are you going to find the money and the time to fix that car probably yeah. or if your or if your kid gets sick on tuesday and is like you really can't take care of him and he's got to go to the hospital he's got to go to the doctor are you going to find the money and time that you didn't have the day before you're going to find it right mm-hmm. so the only thing that's changed is a context of this is important to me um and it's the same thing with business owners it's like when you make the results more important, like as important to you as breathing, right? There's that, that meme that goes around all the time. When you make your business as important as it is for you to breathe, you'll succeed. It really kind of takes that. It's like putting your, almost your life at risk for the result. And when you work that way with that level of importance, I really don't see how you could fail. I mean, how you can like not succeed with the goal that you have. Like failure is going to be there, obviously. How does our environment affect us and the success that we attain? I kind of think it's what we've been talking about before. I think when we say environment, we're actually talking about the context more than anything. So it's not like, you know, uh, I'm in New York and guy moved to San Diego. Did that environment change him? Absolutely, because environment has an effect. But I think it's more the context that you put yourself in. So back in December, I made a conscious choice to join a very, very powerful mastermind uh, with amazing people who honestly – I didn't feel like I belonged in that group. The fact that they let me in, I was like, holy crap, thank God. Now, that environment for me was very eye-opening because when you surround yourself with people who are really, really successful in all different arenas of life, you start seeing similarities. And what you notice is how much farther you start pushing yourself to become part of that environment. Um, so I went to an event, guy just went on another event with the group. And I think we had a very similar experience where yes, on the one hand, we're really humbled by the fact that we're there. But then when you're sitting down and you're talking to seven, eight, nine figure earners, and you're actually making a profound difference in their lives, what you walk away from is the knowledge that, well, damn, I can make that kind of difference with now anyone. And that breeds confidence and that confidence will breed new actions and those new actions will give you new results. And then you're like on this amazing, you know, new wheel of sorts. Um, so that's what I think when we're talking about environment, that's what we're really talking about. Cool. I want to join your club, man. Nine, ten figure owners. Wow. I mean, uh, I I know plenty of seven and eight figure owners, but uh, maybe even a few nines, but you know, 10, that's amazing. Yeah. No, these are like legit, legit guys. Wow, that is cool. Okay, moving on. Something else that I heard uh, you both uh, discussing on your site on a video is that you speak about something called the three-to-one rule. I- I'll let you explain this. When it comes to thinking and our thought patterns, what is the three-to-one rule? 
Oh, you're talking about the negative negativity bias? Yeah, the negative to positive thoughts ratio, I guess you could call it. Yeah, okay. So um, I did an amazing interview with, uh, with this woman called Stella Grisant, who's a, a positive psychologist. It was really the first time I'd ever heard of it. Basically, what they've done is psychology, typical psychology, is, is asking the question of what is wrong with people, and then they kind of like try to fix us, right? Positive psychology, which is kind of a new field, is asking what is right with you, with people, and how can we do more of that? And so what they found is by hooking our uh, brains up now to, to the, all these you know, wires and whatever, it's pretty amazing what neuroscience has done, is that our brain is actually programmed to be negative. Now, you, must, you might be like, well, I'm not negative. Well, from a human physiological level, we all are. We're programmed that way. And it's actually the thing that's kept us alive. So back in the day when, you know, there was lion chasing us or animals or threats or all this kind of stuff, you know, the fact that we were negative was almost like we were always looking for danger and that's how our brain got programmed to do what it does. Mm -hmm. So what they found is that if you can alter your state of mind to have three positive thoughts for every one negative thought, you are happier, more fulfilled, more successful, more creative, more alive. I mean, that seems to be like the magic number. So for a lot of people, they're completely oblivious to the fact that they have thoughts. Like, you know, to them, it's it's them. Once you realize, like, it's not you, it's just thoughts, like random things happening in your brain. Um, once you get that and you can start creating the muscle to kind of, like, filter these things out, then you can now control the thought process. So when something horrible happens, like, you know, Guy and I are always looking for, instead of the why questions, like, why me, why now, all this kind of stuff, we ask, what is this here to teach us? How can we use this to grow? Things of that nature. And right away, you're you're completely switching the consciousness and bringing positivity to an otherwise, you know, negative situation. So I think that's what you're talking about. I'd love to know for the average person what the ratio actually is. I know a lot of people who are probably about, you know, one to a hundred uh, negative to positive. Put it this way, I'd be afraid to find out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, crazy. But like you said, it's survival. It's got us to a certain point. But then if you really want to succeed and get ahead, um, then push beyond that. Take it a step further. See if you can get some kind of control over it. Um, and uh, look, I'm, I'm sure it's going to take a lot of practice to get that mastered, but certainly I'm going to start going for it. I'm going to give it a try to see if I can monitor my own thoughts a bit more. And I'm sure I'm going to be surprised and shocked at what I find. At yeah. the beginning, you know, you can literally like, you don't have to do it all the time. But one of the things that she says that she teaches people to do is just have like a little piece of paper with you, you know, with like a tally on both sides and just like throughout the day, just check in to see what's happening. Uh, but I feel like once you turn that corner, you'll just see that life starts shifting and looking very, very different than what you might be used to. Okay. So we've talked a lot about mindset performance and a lot of, you know, internal things, things that have to do with ourselves. Um, let's talk about marketing very briefly before we close and online marketing specifically. What is the number one reason why people don't get enough traffic to their website? 
Uh, I think it's just the fact that the entire industry has you believe that it's a difficult thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> I like they they make it like it's some like elusive pink unicorn that like only the few elite know how to do. And, and the the funny truth about traffic is there's just so many ways to buy it. Um, it's not so much the matter of opinion uh, of uh, I'm sorry of getting traffic and paying for it. I think it's that most people are really really complacent and lazy about tracking. Mm-hmm. Um, and because of that, they never really get any traction and they take the approach of let's just throw things at the wall and hope it sticks. Um, and they do get some results here and there, but they're sporadic and they're not really learning about digging into the data, taking a look at it, making the right decisions, figuring out how to scale up, things of that nature. So they struggle with that for years ongoingly. And it's like the moment you introduce that into the equation and show them how to properly do it. I um, mean, people can scale up their businesses within months, um, highly effectively and predictably. Uh, so I think that's probably the two major causes that I see. I think also people have unrealistic expectations. You know, right now, like Facebook's made a big shift um, and they've really become a much more pay-to-play model. Mm-hmm. So we'd always taught people organic things that really, really worked. And you know what? Sadly, they just don't work. I mean, they work, but they don't work as well. And so... You know, if you're one of these people looking for like 50, 100 leads a day, you got to be ready to pay for those leads. I mean, it's really, really difficult, especially for people starting out to uh, to get some good traction unless they have a marketing budget behind them. And the marketing budget doesn't have to be huge. Like Guy and I started for $5 a day on Facebook. Um, you know, I, I can't even share probably what we spent last month, but, um, you know, we, we started there too. So... I think just getting past the fear of like paying for traffic or being like, well, I got all these likes, you know, that's everyone's complaint. Only 16% of my list sees it, which I'm telling you right now is even less. Like, I don't want to pay for it again. Why should I? Well, you should, because if you want to run a business, then get off your high horse and that's just the way it's played. Yeah. So that comes down to a bit of mindset again, then that people are scared in a way to pay for traffic or they don't want to pay for traffic or like you said, they have unrealistic expectations. And I actually teach this as well. You know, you guys know that I teach online marketing too. um, And this is definitely something that I teach is that you have to pay for traffic. You have got to be prepared to pay for traffic. If you're only willing to try and get free traffic, well, you know, as we've already discussed, it's really hard to scale. Yeah. It's it's impossible. It's like I met a guy uh, who has a very successful podcast and he runs a, you know, million plus dollar business, um, on the back of his podcast. No marketing whatsoever. And I was like, wait, how is that possible? And then I said, well, when did you start your podcast? 2006. I was like, okay, well, you invested eight years of time yeah. to get yeah. your business, right? So, okay, if you want a business in eight years from now, then by all means, go free traffic. Yeah, agreed. The thing that I tell people is that if you're getting ROI and your marketing is good and you're getting the conversions, then your traffic pays for itself. In fact, you'll want to actually spend more on your traffic because you'll know reliably and consistently that you'll make X amount back. So I find that people are scared to either give it a try in the first place or maybe they've tried it once or twice and it didn't go very well. And and this goes back to what we said earlier about failure. They try it and instead of thinking to themselves, you know, what did I do wrong? How can I improve it? How can I do it better this time? Instead, they just stop it altogether, which I find crazy. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think a lot for a lot of people, they expect that they should be getting results. Again, you know, that word should comes up a lot, Mm -hmm. should be getting results out the gate. And, you know, something like, you know, 
Joe, like you and us both know that in order to have any successful campaign, you're going to go in at a loss, right? It's going to take some investment money to collect enough data to start making the proper decisions that are going to allow that to become a profitable campaign. But once you're profitable, your ability to scale it is nearly unlimited and you're always going to make back that money. So your newbie marketer, even a lot of advanced marketers are just not willing to go in and say, look, I'm going to spend three to $5,000 just to collect data. Forget it. I don't even care about making money during that point Mm -hmm. just to get the right data so I can make the decisions that will bring it to something that can predictably return, you know, a three to one return, a five to one return on your money. And once you're at that point, it's like show me one investment vehicle on the planet that's going to give you a 500 percent return on your money outside of marketing. I don't know that it exists. So it's like you just have to get comfortable. You got to get really comfortable with being uncomfortable. That's pretty much what it comes down to. Now you're asking people to do too much. Yeah, that's it. My final question is, do you guys get as many leads as you can? Are you lead whores, so to speak? Um, or do you cherish the leads that you have? Do you really take that lead and care for it and nurture it and do all that you can to bring them out the other side as a customer, client, or friend? That's a really good question. Uh, we've been both. Okay. So... I think what we've come to is people, when they start, are lead whores because the ego wants leads. You want to feel like you're progressing. Um, and the problem is that people don't understand the difference between a quality lead and a lead, and especially when they start out and they just collect leads, right, because it feels good to the ego. Um, we've gotten to the point where we know our business model so well, and this is kind of the thing that you always want to – I don't care if you're just starting out or you're seasoned or whatever. If you don't know what your customer value is over, you know, a three month, six month, nine month, 12 month window is, then you don't really know your business. And what I mean by that is like, I know we had a dollar software that we were uh, leading on the front end with, right? We were paying at $1.37 for a single dollar conversion. Now, from an investment standpoint, someone would look at us and be like, you guys are idiots, right? Mm-hmm. But we knew the way our funnel was designed, the way our business was designed, that our customer value in a six-month window was just under $700. We would have spent $300 to get a dollar uh, sale mm-hmm. because we knew what our, our customer value is. So I think when you know that, then it becomes less about collecting leads and being a lead whore and just creating customers, good quality customers that love the, love your approach, love the way you market. And you know, like Joe, for our customers and your customers, yes, I'm sure there's going to be like some sort of crossover, but like you attract a certain demographic. We attract a certain demographic. Other people attract their certain demographic. Just do your own thing and get quality people into your business that you want to work with mm-hmm. more than anything else. And if you can do that with five leads a day, do it with five leads a day. But I don't think there's a, like a, a thing where you have to be, unless you're doing like, you know, some health and fitness offers and you just want to run like crazy numbers. But mm-hmm. our business is built on just getting really, really good quality people through our funnels. And I think actually something you said before, you know, about um, we were talking about qualifying people from the moment that they see the ad and getting really qualified people. I remember early on, you know, for us, it was uh, 
just honestly speaking, a lot more about the sale than it was about the delivering of value just because of the situation that we were in. And it's very difficult to like, you know, put other people first today. We're, we're very much other people first, money second, because the money is just a function of the value that we offer people. So as long as we pay attention to that. Anyway, the point here is, is that, um, if you get those clients, right? Or you attain those clients that weren't qualified in the beginning, and, and Joe, I'm sure you could attest to this, those clients you would happily give their money back to because they're just the ultimate time and energy suck. Would you agree with that? Yeah. You're like, you would get that on your knees with like the whatever thousands of dollars they gave you, like piled up in $100 bills in your hand and be like, <laughs> please take this and get the hell away from me. Like, you don't even want to, you don't even want to work with those people. You don't want them around. So one of the things that I'll tell, you know, any new marketer, any advanced marketer who's struggling, whatever, you, you know, like really do the best you can to look for people who align with your like moral fabric, who align, who are like minded to you. There would be people that you would love to have a beer with, people you'd love to sit down and have dinner with. Like it wouldn't bother you to not to do what you're doing without even getting paid for it. You just get paid for it because they see the value in who you are. Um, and those are the people you'll love doing business with and you'll easily be able to deliver results for, for them. And you should really never be doing anything in your business that you can't easily give that value to someone. Um, and if it's difficult for you, then I would say then you're probably doing the wrong thing. Yeah. This has been absolutely fantastic to speak to you both. I'm so pleased that you guys were able to come on the show at the same time. It's been really fun to talk to you. Where can we find out more about you? If, if we really resonate with your style and the things that you teach, um, where can we go? How can you help us further? So I'll give you two places. The first is very easy. You can head over to satoriprime.com. Um, that's the best place to just get a you know, hold of us. And then the other one, if you're just looking for kick-ass information, just go and check out the Performance Enhancing Podcast, either on iTunes uh, or Stitcher. And uh, those are the best ways to get in touch with us. Excellent. And with that, we will wrap up this episode. Thank you very much for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, please support us by leaving a positive review on iTunes or Stitcher. And lastly, Elon, Guy, thank you so much for coming on the Online Marketing Show. Awesome. Thanks for having us. It was fun. Yeah, thanks for having us. The Online Marketing Show with Joseph Bushnell, helping you to grow your online business by driving more traffic, improving conversion rates, increasing customer value, and getting things done fast. Listen, take action, make money.